I'd like to invite Hannah Johnston up to do our scripture reading. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Hannah. And thank you, Livy, for adding to our nativity. Um, if you were here last week, you know that we're doing a series this month on the nativity, where we're looking at the different characters in our nativity scenes, and we're asking what we can learn from their parts of the Christmas story. So last week we talked about Mary and Joseph, and that's why you might have noticed if you came in here and you saw the nativity that only Mary and Joseph are in here. I know that's a little weird. It's like, why, why is the nativity so empty? Um, <clears throat> but this week, we're, it's the shepherd's turn, so we've added the shepherds to our nativity. And um, so I, I love this part of the Christmas story. I think uh, a lot of people do. I think Linus made a good choice when he used it to tell Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. Um, I really like to imagine being in that field that night. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's right. Kids can be dismissed. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Um, I like to imagine being in that field that night. Um, I like to imagine, you know, tending the flocks, business as usual, uh, maybe making small talk with the other shepherds or looking up at the stars to pass the time. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, light uh, and glory and the presence of something or someone not of this world. And it's terrifying, right? I'm sure if I had been there, I would have been just as scared as the shepherds were. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my family would usually be the last ones in church uh, because my parents always washed the coffee pots. And so I was always the last one to leave. It'd be like 2 p.m. and it'd still be there, be starving. <laughs> and, um, but because I was the last one there, 
um, all the lights were off in the rest of the church building. So if I wanted to, I could roam around and uh, just be in the church by myself. And part of me liked doing that, but part of me also didn't like doing that uh, because it scared me. Uh, there was something about being alone in the church where I felt like I was opening myself up to the possibility or, of God or an angel suddenly showing up and speaking to me, uh, like what happened to the shepherds. And even though I believed that God was good and that he loved me, there was something scary about that. And I can remember as a kid getting kind of like that tingly feeling in my feet when I was alone in the church and like running from one part of the church to another so I didn't have to be alone in the space. Now, as you can imagine, I end up alone in the church a lot of the time now. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me the way that it once did. Uh, but every now and then, I'll have a sense of the holiness of the space that I'm in and an awareness of being alone in that space. And I'll feel a little bit, you know, just a little bit, like I did when I was a kid. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, last week, we saw that both Mary and Joseph had to be told by the angel, do not be afraid, right? And the same thing happens to the shepherds. When, whenever that veil is lifted between the spiritual realm and our ordinary world, our first response is fear. Uh, but the angel has not appeared in order to bring fear, but to bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. It must have been such a relief to hear those words. Good news of great joy for all the people. Notice that all the people, not just the shepherds, not just for the Jews, not just for the people in the Middle East, but for all the people. And that good news of great joy is that a Savior has been born. The angel calls him the Christ, uh, which is the Greek word for the Messiah. And the, the Messiah was the title given to the king who had been foretold by the prophets. And he was a king who was expected to, to come and set things right in the world. And the king has finally arrived, and now he's lying in a manger of all places. And then we're suddenly told that there's not just one angel, but a great company of the heavenly host, all of them praising God. I know in my head I usually think of a choir when I picture this moment, so maybe you do too, a bunch of human-like uh, beings in choir robes. But the phrase heavenly host doesn't mean heavenly choir. It actually means heavenly army. So what the shepherds were seeing was this massive angel army celebrating what had just happened. They were seeing the army of heaven celebrating that their commander-in-chief had just been born into the world. So I think that's an amazing image. Um, even though I'm sure it was scary, too. I wish I could have seen it. And after the, uh, the heavenly host celebration, it says that the angels leave them and go into heaven. Now, it's not clear what that looked like exactly. Maybe they just floated upward until they were out of sight. Uh, or maybe they just vanished. But whatever happened, that veil that had lifted for a moment between the spiritual realm and our world was suddenly lowered again. And the peak behind, the, behind the, the, uh, the curtain was over. And it was back to that quiet nighttime countryside. But the shepherds didn't just say, well, that was weird, and go back to their shepherding. Uh, they said, well, okay, let's go check it out, what the angels are saying. 
And once they had seen that, yes, indeed, there was a baby that had been born in Bethlehem and was lying in a manger, just like the angel had said, they couldn't help but go out and tell everyone what had happened. And they glorified and praised God, just like the army of angels. Now, even if what I had just said there was our entire understanding of this story, it's a great story, right? But what I love about this account is that it's saying even more than we realize, even more, I think, than what I just said. Um, There's a lot of meaning under the surface in this story, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I think that we can uncover that meaning by asking a question, which is, why are the shepherds the ones that receive this news? Not everyone in the land had an angel appear to them, as far as we know. Uh, There may have been other people besides the shepherds who had some sort of angelic announcement, but if they were, they're not recorded in the Bible. Uh, But whatever the case, we know that most people didn't have an angelic announcement because it says that the shepherds went out and they told everybody about what they had seen. And it doesn't sound like the people were saying, oh yeah, well, we already got the news too. There's an an implicit assumption there that most people hadn't heard. The, The shepherds had had this revealed to them and then they went out and told other people. So God decided to give this message specifically to the shepherds. And unless God just behaves arbitrarily, he must have had some reason for doing things the way that he did. And although we need to be careful uh, about speculating as to why God does the things that he does, I think we can be confident of at least three reasons why God did it this way. And the first reason I want to propose that God announced Jesus' birth to shepherds is because he wanted to communicate that social status doesn't matter to God. Uh, During the time that Jesus was born, shepherds were not considered to be high-class people. They were definitely not among the elites of society. Uh, They were more like this guy, kind of rougher, blue-collar types. And according to one source I looked at this week, Uh, This is an exact quote from the source. It said, Many religious people at the time would have actually looked down on shepherds because the shepherds' work kept them from participating in the religious activities of their communities. Now, I'm not sure why that would have been. Uh, Maybe they weren't able to get to the synagogue because they couldn't take their eyes off the flocks. I'm not sure. But whatever the case, shepherds were not considered to be classy uh, or rich or spiritual Uh, Parents didn't dream for their children to grow up to become shepherds. And as a side note, I think the way shepherds were viewed actually adds a lot of support to the authenticity of Luke's account. Um, Because if, if Luke had just set out to make up a story in order to get people to believe in Jesus, it would have made sense to have the angels appear to someone other than shepherds. right? If I was making up a fake story about how an angel appeared to people, and I wanted people to believe me, I would make the angel appear to a really reputable source, right? Someone very highly educated, uh, someone very highly regarded by the community. Uh, I would probably have the angel visit a scientist or a doctor or maybe a college professor, depending on which one. Um, But when Luke has the angel visiting shepherds, it's more like having the angel appear to a used car salesman. Um, or, you know, for people in that time. That was kind of the way that they would see that. 
or maybe a rough factory worker or something like that. It's just not a, a profession that really has a reputation for inte integrity. And so if you were fabricating the account, you probably wouldn't have written it this way. And yet it is written this way. Uh, and so that's a clue that this is not made up, that this is the real deal. Um, but getting back to the subject of social status, so probably even more so than today, uh, society when Jesus was born was very stratified. Uh, and certain people of certain professions and backgrounds were seen as people of honor, and certain people of certain professions and backgrounds were seen as people of shame. And when God sends an angel to announce the birth of the Messiah, it's remarkable that he makes this announcement not to the people of honor in the eyes of the world, but to the people of shame in the eyes of the world. And that's a theme uh, throughout Scripture that, that uh, we see over and over again, that God loves to work through the things that, that the world regards as weak or worthless. Uh, and the Christmas story is just an amazing place where we see God demonstrating that all over again in a powerful way. Because he picks a young, poor, unmarried girl to be Jesus' mother, and he picks shepherds, of all people, to be the first ones to hear the news of Jesus' arrival. And the point is that God wants us to just throw out this worldly system of honor and shame, the system that judges people according to how much money or education or status that they have, because in God's eyes, that stuff just doesn't matter. So that's the first reason why I suspect that God picked the shepherds as his witnesses. The next two I'm about to offer are things that I think are just too coincidental not to be intentional. So the second reason I think that God announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds is because Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. In the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, he, he cries out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John was doing there was he was recognizing that Jesus is like a lamb who's going to be sacrificed in order to spare people from a terrible fate. And I realized that to our modern ears, that concept might seem kind of strange, uh, but for the Jews during that time, they would have understood what John meant. Uh, and there are at least two reasons that I can think of why that would be the case. One is because they were used to celebrating something every year called Passover. And Passover was the celebration of this really special moment in Israel's history. Uh, when God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And as the story goes, part of that process involved the angel of the Lord sweeping through the land and striking down the firstborn in every household. But the Jews in the land were spared that same fate if they sacrificed a lamb and they put some of its blood on the doorpost of their homes. And so to remember this, this special moment, in history, every year the Jews, for generations since, would sacrifice a lamb once a year on the anniversary of Passover, in memory of that night. So because of Passover, there was this strong association between the deliverance of the people and the sacrifice of a lamb. So that's the first reason why the Jews during this time would have understood what John meant when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. The second reason is because shortly after the Jews were freed from captivity in Egypt, God gave them a law about how they should live. And part of that law involved the construction of a temple 
where he commanded that animal sacrifices be, be performed as, a, as an offering of worship. And I realize that some of this stuff is really, it sounds really violent and gross to us now, but bear with me. I'm, I mean, if it's hard for you, you know, we can talk about that more in the future, but this is, this is all part of the story of the Bible. It's, it's all in there. Um, and, uh, but what I'm trying to explain right now is why when, Jesus ref when uh, John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, that would have resonated with the people he was speaking with. They would have understood what that meant. So, um, so God gave them a law, and he, could, he explained to them the, what they need to do at the temple, how they need to offer sacrifices. And part of the instructions that were given, we find them in Exodus chapter 29, it says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. So, the temple was a place where lambs were being offered as a sacrifice on a regular basis, right? morning and evening. And there was this idea that by offering these sacrifices, the Jews were somehow making up for or covering for the nation's sins. Now, the truth is, as we find out later, that none of these sacrifices really had the power to cover Israel's sins. But they did foreshadow the sacrifice that would be able to cover Israel's sins the sacrifice that Jesus would eventually make through his death on the cross. And Jesus was the Lamb of God because he was the real sacrifice that had the power, like John the Baptist said, to take away the sins of the world. So, knowing all that, it hardly seems coincidental to me at all that the first people to witness the Lamb of God were shepherds, right? The people in society who raise and care for sheep. In fact, some scholars even argue, I think this is super interesting, that these shepherds, because of their proximity to Jerusalem, were probably caring for the sheep that would eventually be sacrificed in the temple services. Now, we don't know that absolutely for certain. The text doesn't say that specifically. But I do think that's a fascinating possibility to consider. Uh, because here they are tending to Israel's sacrifices, when they get a message that the perfect sacrifice has been born. And if that's the case, I can't help but see a powerful message in the fact that the shepherds left the sheep. Do you remember that? Um, in verse 15 and 16, it says, uh, the shepherds responded by saying, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So they were tending to the sheep, but then they just left. That's not responsible shepherding, is it? Um, but what I think the story might be hinting at, especially if these sheep were being raised for temple sacrifices, is that there's no need to tend to these sheep anymore because the true Lamb of God has been born. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that the shepherds knew that they were, when they were looking at Jesus that they were looking at the Lamb of God who would make the temple sacrifices unnecessary. Uh, I'm not even suggesting that Mary and Joseph understood that. But what I'm saying is that knowing everything that we know now, I think we can look back on this moment and see that God was hinting at Jesus' purpose. And I love that. I love it because I think it exemplifies one reason why the Bible is so powerful and one reason why I really believe that it's inspired by, by, by God and not just a human document, which is, uh, because of details 
Details like this, that we, you imagine if somebody is trying to plan this stuff out, how difficult it would, it would be to plan it. When you study the Bible closely, there are these details where their true significance only becomes clear later in the story. Like, sometimes in terms of what would be hundreds of years later, in terms of it being written. Um, and the fact that we can look back on some of those details now, later, and go, oh, okay, I get it now. That, to me, is this compelling evidence that there's a divine author. Uh, behind this, and it's evidence that it's not just a human collection of writings. All right, so the third and final reason why God announced Jesus' birth specifically to the shepherds is because Jesus is the good shepherd. And this is, like the last point, this is another thing that I think just seems like too much of a coincidence not to be intentional. So, Hopefully, many of us remember that in the Gospel of John, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And what Jesus does when he says that is he's actually appealing to a metaphor that goes all the way back to the Psalms, and specifically to one of the most popular Psalms today, Psalm 23, uh, where the psalmist wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So it hardly seems coincidental, again, that Jesus would pick shepherds as the first people to hear about Jesus' birth because there's something so poetic and beautiful about ordinary shepherds being the first ones to meet the good shepherd. And again... I don't think the shepherds knew when they saw the baby Jesus that they were meeting the good shepherd. I don't know if they thought of that in those terms. I don't know if Mary and Joseph made that connection either, but I believe that God knew what he was doing. And he knew that people would be able to recognize what he was doing in retrospect. He was hinting at Jesus, at who Jesus was destined to become. That he was destined to become the good shepherd who would lead wayward sheep like you and me out of death and into eternal life. And I want to talk just a little bit about this metaphor of Jesus as a shepherd and what that means for us. Shepherds are really the only thing that stands between life and death for sheep. Because sheep just aren't good at taking care of themselves. Uh, they're cute and fluffy, but they're not real smart. Uh, and I realize that comparison isn't very flattering, but the truth is that when it comes to our relationship with God, we're a lot like sheep. Uh, we don't really take great care of ourselves. Left to our own wisdom, we don't make good choices. And when it comes to making it through life, we need the care and direction of a good shepherd, of the good shepherd. And if we don't have that, we're in trouble. I heard a great illustration a little while ago uh, of this. There was a sheep in New Zealand known as Shrek, uh, and in 1998, he fled his shepherd and hid in some caves. I think that's how he got the name Shrek, because he was in the caves. Uh, and he managed to survive there for six years. Now, I have to admit, right, for a sheep without a shepherd, he did pretty well. Six years, that's good. He managed to avoid being eaten by any wild animals. He managed to find food. He didn't get swept away in a flash flood or anything like that. But here's what Shrek looked like after six years on his own. 
So his coat had grown completely out of control because he had missed his annual shearing six times. And when they finally sheared him, he actually had 60 pounds worth of fleece. So that's, that's uh, enough to make 20 men's suits. Now, as you can tell from this picture, he's alive, but he's not in very good shape. Uh, that's not a comfortable way to live. That's not even a safe way to live. If you end up on your back, <laughs> you may never end up right side up again. <laughs> Um, so he had managed to survive, but he hadn't managed to thrive. And the more time he spent away from the shepherd, the more of a mess he became. And I really believe that the same is true for us. When we try to direct ourselves, uh, when we refuse to allow the good shepherd to shepherd us, we end up like Shrek. And maybe externally we look okay, uh, but internally, things start, start to get out of control because we need the perspective and the moral compass and the spiritual sustenance that only the Good Shepherd can provide. And the good news is that, well, the good news of Christmas is that the Good Shepherd has been born into the world. That's the good news of great joy for all people that the angel announced. It's the good news of great joy that we celebrate at this time of year. So, to close this morning and prepare us as we go into a time of reflection, I'd just like to look at that special psalm again, Psalm 23. It's, it's a beautiful psalm. It's ministered to a lot of people over, over the centuries. Um, it's ministered to me, and uh, I'd like it to minister to us this morning. So, with Shrek in mind, uh, I'd like us to say it out loud together. So, I'll, uh, I'll lead us in that, and then we'll go into a, a time of reflection and prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we thank you that we can say that together. We thank you for the privilege of dwelling in your house forever. And God, we thank you for the birth of your son into the world that we celebrate this time of year that makes it possible for us to dwell in your house forever. We thank you so much, Lord, uh, for the good shepherd, for the lamb of God, and, uh, and for the reminder, Lord, that what really matters in your eyes has nothing to do with our social status in the eyes of the world. God, I pray that uh, this story would be real to us this time of year, that you would help us to, uh, to reflect on it and not just to uh, know about it, but to feel it, God, to uh, experience some of the awe and wonder that we should feel when, when we think about uh, your, your incarnation, uh, your birth into the world. Lord, we, uh, we thank you and praise you for being our shepherd. 
we thank you for uh, metaphorically uh, shearing us and, and uh, keeping us out of the way of wild animals and guarding us from flash floods and, and uh, all that stuff, Lord. We thank you, Lord, uh, for meeting our needs, God. Uh, we pray that we would be surrendered to your will. And um, we ask that you would continue to lead and guide us and that you would uh, fill us with awe and wonder this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.